Welcome to Close the Door and Come Here, a Game of Thrones, A Song of Ice and Fire podcast with heavy leanings towards our two favorite characters, Jamie and Brienne. Well, there was a bear bear, all black and brown and covered in hair. Hi, I'm Guile, Guile and Subterfuge on Tumblr, and I'm joined tonight by Chicky. Hey, I am Chicky, Chickren on Tumblr. Clotho. Hi, I'm Clotho, Clotho Spindle on Tumblr. Kama. Hi, I'm Kama, Grammar Saves Lives on Tumblr. And Wonkins. Hi, I'm Wonkins, uh, Wonkins on Tumblr. So, you guys, tonight we're going to be covering Catelyn 7 from A Clash of Kings. Oh, yeah. Yay. It's the moment I have been waiting for. Um, which, which moment is that? <laughs> uh, <laughs> only the best moments in the whole, maybe in the whole series. Not gonna lie. When so, Kat finds out that her sons are dead, is that? Yep. I mean, <laughs> I'm not gonna lie. It's a personal, emotional highlight for me. Yes. <laughs> so, uh, the chapter starts with Kat and Brienne eating alone in River Run's Great Hall. The rest of the castle is basically having a pre-funk in anticipation of Admir and Rob's triumphant returns after their respective victories. And Kat is sitting there, and it's kind of funny. She's actually getting irritated with the sound of Brienne eating, which I can absolutely relate to. And she's thinking about the message she received that morning from Roderick Castle, informing her of the apparent deaths of Bran and Rickon. And... One thing I will say, it's really it was quite hard to outline this chapter because there are so many iconic passages that it's hard to um, it was hard to pick which ones to read or which you know which ones to do what with. So this one I couldn't resist though. It's Cat thinks they do not know, and if they did, why should they care? They never knew my sons. Never watched Brand climb with their hearts in their throats. Pride and terror so mingled they seemed as one. Never heard him laugh. Never smiled to see Rickon trying so fiercely to be like his older brothers. She stared at the supper set before her. Trout wrapped in bacon. Salad of turnip greens and red fennel and sweetgrass. Peas and onions and hot bread. Bryn was eating methodically, as if supper were another chore to be accomplished. I am become a sour woman, Catelyn thought. I take no joy in mead nor meat, and song and laughter have become suspicious strangers to me. I am a creature of grief and dust and bitter longings. There's an empty place within me where my heart once was once. I wondered if you were going to say that bit. Yeah, I mean, (laughs) you kind of have to. And it's just, I mean, you know, it's utterly heartbreaking. I do love that she... She did register what they were eating, which <laughs> <That's> <laughs> I gotta say, I mean, I'm not, I know everybody grieves differently, but you know, that kind of level of detail was lacking that when I had, when my father died, I, I totally did not notice anything like that, but you know, you're not analyzing the sympathy casseroles. <laughs> it was just, people came with food. Everything tasted like cardboard. Okay. You know, I don't know, but it's George, and God forbid. Yeah, I mean, it totally seems like a George thing, but I will say sometimes, you know, at those moments you can focus on really mundane. This is true. But, yeah, but it does seem mm-hmm. like a George. Just, I want to describe food. <laughs> yeah. And So, oh, go ahead. 
I actually kind of want to make that turnip green dish now. <laughs> so well, I love how she doesn't seem to have like cried or anything yet. She, it's yeah. like she's just kind of like removed herself from It's like it's too overwhelming for her to even process fully. So well, I mean, I, in a weird way, that makes the details that she's noticing make more sense because it's like anything but the reality, you know? Yeah, it sounds like an understatement like, that she's describing. <laughs> yeah. So Kat tells Brienne the news from Winterfell, and she thinks she's been keeping the news to herself because as long as it was a secret, she could pretend it wasn't true. Well. She admits to Brienne that she thought her boys were safe as long as they had their wolves. And she mentions how her daughters have no wolves either. And, you know, Kat keeps making these changes of topic in the conversation, and Brienne doesn't really understand it. But I think it's our first hint in this chapter of where Kat's head is really at. And Kat Kat describes her daughters um, to Brienne. And I think it's interesting, when we hear these descriptions, we know that Brienne is really listening. She's taking these descriptions, and she kind of keeps them in her heart for, you know, the next year. You know, she tells Brienne mm-hmm. how Sansa was a lady at three, and Arya was a headstrong tomboy. And then this was a passage I didn't really remember until the reread. And actually, I think this, beware, I think this was, like, the saddest part. Um, Kat's talking about Arya, and she says... She collected scabs as other girls collect dolls and would say anything that came into her head. I think she must be dead, too. When she said that, it felt as though a giant hand were squeezing her chest. And I want them all dead, Brienne. Theon Greyjoy first, then Jamie Lannister and Cersei and the Imp. Everyone, everyone, but my girls, my girls will. And <laughs> oh, God. And I love how Brienne's like, oh, no, I'm sure they'll be fine. And Kat yes. just knows that, no, everything goes to shit. And the Lannisters are terrible and Cersei's the worst. And she has no hope. It's just terrible. And that's when Kat tells her, you know, there's that sweet, innocent innocence about her, which is a description we hear of, you know, we, we I think we think of that description of Brienne quite often. So it's kind of interesting mm-hmm. to see the genesis of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and you know what I like about this? Because this is not the only time Brienne does this. She sticks up for Cersei. Like, she assumes <laughs> Cersei's a normal person. Yes, that's exactly the right way of saying it. <laughs> <laughs> she does this with Jamie yeah. too. Like, she, she actually genuinely thinks, you know, that Cersei's a good person. Because <laughs> she just, she thinks the best of people who should be the best. You know, it's like, oh, well, this is the queen, so she should have mm-hmm. fine I think also- it's hard for her to imagine that this woman would willfully hurt these two young, you know, these two young girls whose only mistake is being born Starks. Yeah. You know, it's just, it's a world that, you know, Brienne's still kind of living in that world of chivalry and she's seen like supernatural evil, but she hasn't really seen, you know, human evil. I mean, she's seen human dickness, but not, you know, like evil. <laughs> she hasn't. Yeah, she's she's not a cynic. You know, there's a, a cultural assumption that those of noble birth are um, innately good, and mm. the, the the filthy things that humans do are are usually found among the commoners and the lowborn, the bastards and the small folk. So, like, it's it's it when you when you come across characters like this that don't know the knowledge that the audience does, they they assume. Uh, the best of, of the highborn, especially royalty. Yeah, but it's also like it's 
she's a mother, she would never, you know, that that's very common regardless, I think, of social class, that idea that, you know, women must be, you know, you know, their mother, their wife, they have to know how it has to be, you know, and they would never do anything to hurt another, you know, whatever, but... Mm. Yeah, well, and and it's funny, Brienne always does like to give women to, like, the benefit of the doubt. I think she always assumes that women are getting shafted everywhere, so she... And she, she doesn't, she, yeah, she doesn't know the background. She doesn't know what Kat knows about mm-hmm. the, you know, Bran or the attack or anything. The night. No, no, she definitely doesn't. But man, does Kat know. <laughs> I, when you mentioned, uh, Kat was talking so, about... There's an interesting, oh, go ahead. When you were, you mentioned Kat was talking about how she wants to kill Theon, do you think that Brienne will take uh, Kat's vengeance desires to heart? And if she ever beats Theon like she does in the show, will she try to kill him <laughs> like on sight? Just like tinfoil heading, I guess. I mean, there would be character motivation for that. It would make wow. some sense, you would think. Except that Theon didn't actually kill Bran and Rickon. Well, we know that as an audience. Does yeah, but is that, Brienne is that doesn't know that. Knowledge? Is right, that, I just does yeah. I, know that. I think in the books, she would know it. In the books, I think Theon and Bran might be a little bit more connected than, or might be connected before Theon would ever run well, into no Brienne. No one knows it. No one knows it at the moment, though. It's it's a way tighter secret in the books than it is on the show. Yeah. The show's I mean, been fast oh, right. with that. Yeah. How how would Brienne know that? Well, Theon knows it. And um, Davos so, knows it. So Theon would have to take a moment to say, wait, don't kill me because I didn't actually <laughs> no, kill no. the Stark kids. I didn't kill him. What are you talking about? No, it wasn't me. <laughs> I guess what I mean is I think that if Brienne were to run into Theon, she would be running into Theon in a situation where Bran and or Rickon were also there, more or less. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't see Brienne. Uh, I don't see Brienne meeting Theon until, like, it's everyone, you know, everyone at the ball game. Oh, maybe. Yeah, well, it's hard to know. God, talk about speculation that we'll <laughs> never, that we'll get never find out. Yeah. All right, let's continue. <laughs> so, um, you know, Kat, while, while Brienne is kind of feeling innocent, Kat is really not quite so innocent at all here. And, you know, she talks about how Rob might have a hard time chopping Theon's head off since he doesn't have ice. And she says, the Starks do not use head, headsmen. Ned always said that a man who passes the sentence should swing the blade, though he never took any joy in the duty. But I would. Oh, yes. <laughs> she stared at her scarred hands, opened and closed them, then slowly raised her eyes. I've sent him wine. And, you know, again, Brienne is really confused throughout this entire conversation. And I think it's because Kat is talking at her. She's not really talking to her. Mm-hmm. And... You know, she tells her that she means Jamie and asks Brienne to be ready to accompany her well, to well, a I cell. Mean, haven't we all had these conversations with people where they suddenly switch topics to something else and you're left like, what are you talking like? You, yeah. We were talking about Theon. Now you're talking about who? Yeah. You sent wine right. to Theon. I mean, like, this is this is typical poor conversation skills and a good sign of the state that Kat is in, I think. But I, you have to take a minute and love. I mean, this is something that we have really been exploring as we've been digging into Kat. But God damn it, I love how bloodthirsty she can be. <laughs> She's super yeah. bloodthirsty. Right? And again, I mean, this chapter, and it, you know, I think we'll get into it as we go on, but 
you know, there's a meeting of these three characters that so heavily like foreshadows that there's going to be an important meeting between these three characters again. And, you know, Kat's bloodthirstiness is something that is like absolutely crucial to that meeting. So it's so interesting to me how, you know, George has essentially set this up for something that, you know, I think we all think there's a strong likelihood he hasn't actually even written yet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> sorry, George, if you're listening, but I have no faith. <laughs> Sorry, not sorry. Sorry, not sorry. Yeah. Sorry. At the moment, I have all the faith in the world because I just found out I have a snow day tomorrow. So, you know, dreams do come true. Who knows? Maybe rainbows. Winter is coming. Yeah. Winter is coming. So, Cat uh, goes after this, after talking to Brienne, Cat goes to visit her father, but he's just taken dream wine and she can't talk to him either. And she tells him a story about her and Liza getting lost and Peter finding them. But now there's no one to help her find her way. She tells him of all the things she wants, which seem more and more impossible. And, you know, again, we really get a hint as to where to where her mind is. She's lost. She has kind of a very thin thread of hope at this point. So it's midnight and Kat cows the jailer into letting her into Jamie's cell while Brienne waits just outside. And there's, you know, it's a great description. There's a bucket of shit in one corner and Jamie in the other. And Cat <laughs> demands he looks, he look at her and he claims that the light hurts his eyes. But then Cat gets a good look at him and, you know, she kind of, con- she kind of uh, continues her aesthetic appreciation of Jamie. <laughs> she says, Jamie Lannister had been allowed no razor since the night he was taken in the Whispering Wood. And a shaggy beard covered his face, once so like the queen's. Glinting gold in the lamplight, the whiskers made him look like some great yellow beast, magnificent even in chains. His unwashed hair fell till his shoulders in ropes and tangles. The clothes were rotting on his body. His face was pale and wasted. And even so, the power and the beauty of the man were still apparent. (laughs) Which, that is like the iconic description of of Jamie, I think. Oh yeah, I mean this is really, I mean <laughs> beyond be John's. Yeah, I mean John gives us our other really good impression of of Jamie physically, but yeah, this is <laughs> this is this gives you a good idea of who and what Jamie is. And George hones so close to the whole Lannister lion thing with Jamie. I mean, he just rides that all the way through. I mean, I think in this section he even refers to Jamie's eyes as cat-like or cat yeah. green or something like that you know so if you you think if jamie and brienne ever get a sex scene like there will be some roaring involved in <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> i think it's even money so just, uh, it's got go a he's got a reek so bad though oh, no, it's like a <laughs> smell. smell i mean i think like everyone just reeked then though so yeah. no but he's been <laughs> I mean, they haven't had access to, like, water and stuff, and, and, like, I'm pretty sure Catelyn doesn't smell anywhere near... This man has been, like, if his clothes are rotting on his body, literally, Mm -hmm. I I mean, that's that's just... I know you guys love Hobo Jamie, but... (laughs) Well, I thought it was funny how she was talking about the smell of the cell. Like, I was, why don't you talk about the the B.O., you know? (laughs) But you know what? She'd still do them. 
just the thing and like if (laughs) i definitely believe that undercurrent is here i mean like it it definitely is running through this like there's a weird sexual element underpinning it all (laughs) i think but only jamie's injecting that uh eroticism there i don't think it's uh reciprocated by cat in any way well it may she may not consciously reciprocate it but everything about the way that she observes him yeah. is is i mean like let me let me put it this way like as someone who's who's read a lot of male gaze in their life this reads like the female version of the male gaze the way that she describes <laughs> it's entirely about like attraction like it's more than what you need like if you just look at like some of the terminology that uh that she has him use or that he has her use i should say like, you know, it's, 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 it's about, you know, things are shaggy and whiskers and like just the terms that, that she's using as she's looking at him. And I mean, the Even power like, the business is, uh, yeah, it's very much female gaze. There's a very I much, mean, even if it's not conscious on her part and I don't it's think not. it is. Yeah, no, it's not. She's, there's something there. Well, when she says that it's stung, when he makes the comment about that, um, you know, about her looks as compared to Cersei, that was, you know, that for me is a little hint that, you know, the fact that she cares what he thinks about her, even the slightest bit. Yeah. Well, couldn't that fall into just like general you ego? Always, you always get stung when someone insults you. Yeah, like um, general ego. I could see yeah, that. if, if, well, if some ugly is, dude with walks some writers, up to me and says my face with is some ugly, writers, yes, but. Out. George is so specific the way that he frames things like this. I mean, like, you know, if if he wants you to understand how someone feels about someone, he he kind of directs you in the terminology that he uses. And it's like if I were talking about someone that that grossed me out, right? I'd be like, you know, he had a gross beard and like the 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 way that you would describe someone who to whom you did not feel attraction is completely different than the way that I feel like she's describing him. I think George, wa- George wants you to to feel that there's an element of that here. And whether it's for Kat herself or for, you know, later brand purposes, who knows? But I definitely think it's there. So Kat notices that Jamie hasn't touched the wine that she sent him. And we get our first kind of one of our first exchanges between them. And she asks, she asks him, I see you had no taste for the wine I sent you. Such sudden generosity seemed somewhat suspect. I can have your head off anytime I want. Why would I need to poison you? Death by poison can seem natural. Harder to claim that my head simply fell off. Which, I just love that. But what if it did? (laughs) (laughs) Right after his hand. (laughs) And, uh, you know, Jamie's literally sitting, almost literally sitting in his own shit right now. But he still has some spirit here because he basically then tells Kat that she looks like crap Mm -hmm. and asks her if she's come because her widow's bed is lonely and he says and they I you know I think they use this exact this exact line in the show even pour some of that wine and slip out of that gown and we'll see if I'm up to it (laughs) oh he's so great They continue to trade insults back and forth, and you know, then we get to one of Jamie's most iconic lines, which is, you know, there are no men like me. There's only me. And well, I think, Guile, it's really important to talk about what what Kat is saying to him, because she comes down and, you know, obviously she hates Jamie, and she's got really good reason to hate Jamie since he tried to kill her kid, and, and his family has killed her husband and is trying to kill the rest of her family, maybe killed Arya. And 
she she really wants to make him feel um dishonorable like she she really is is like you know rather than coming down here to negotiate with him or whatever she just has to like spend this time going into why she thinks that he's so terrible you know like mm-hmm. basically you know like that he you know he the torment that he deserves and things like that she she really has all this pent up just terrible feeling inside her that she's getting out and you don't realize it until you get to Storm of Swords, but part of what's going on here, I think, is that she is kind of she's she's grappling with her own treason that she's about to commit, you know. And it's funny that the thing that she does when she's grappling with it is is dig into Jamie for his sins. Like she's like, there's somebody worse than me, basically. Huh. Um, and it's funny how he kind of does this double duty for her. She's he's somebody that she can morally beat up on, <laughs> basically. That's interesting because you know what. I don't know if we'll get into it later, but, you know, I was thinking, I felt like this whole chapter, Kat's going from person to person, and she's trying to find the audience that she needs to talk to, and it's, you know, it's not Brienne, it can't be her father, and she tries to make it Jamie, Hmm. and I think in the way I read it, I, I felt like she wasn't, you know, this wasn't what she needed, it ended up being more you know, at least a little bit more of what Jamie needed, but not quite everything. But I think you're right. Like, yeah, she, what she needed was a, maybe someone to make her feel better about herself and what she's going to do. Yeah. Do you think she might be trying to inspire Jamie to be more honorable? Because what she's going to ask him in, in the next Catelyn chapter will rely on his holding mm-hmm. up his end of the bargain. Otherwise, there, there, there's some kind of cognitive dissonance going on inside of Kat's head where she's... Um, degrading this guy as this dishonorable person, but then she's going to ask him to uh, pinky swear on his own accord. You <laughs> yeah, know, that's, I think that's well, I think point. she's counting on Tyrion's word. Yeah. She? I don't think she's counting on on Jamie's word for anything. I mean, I think her her mistrust of him is pretty genuine. It seems like, uh, and fair enough. I mean, like, why would she put an ounce of faith in Jamie's honor? He has none, as far as anybody's concerned, and. <laughs> If he does have any, he certainly has done nothing to prove it to Kat. So, yeah, I, I, I think she really does mistrust him. I think she's just counting on Tyrion here. Okay, yeah, Tyrion. You're right. So, you know, Kat gets fed up with Jamie, you know, Jamie's behavior, and she starts to leave when Jamie calls her back. And, you know, I, we just we got into a little bit of it that, you know, both of these people have really been living in their own head. And so as much as they might despise each other, there is a certain part of them that like need to have this conversation. And so they're finally able to come to an agreement and Jamie will drink some wine and they'll trade her truths for his truths. And the first thing she asks him is if he's Joffrey's father, you know, he tells her he wouldn't, that she wouldn't ask if he didn't know the answer and he admits it and gets Kat to tell him about his family. And they go back and forth with Jamie corroborating Tyrion's story about the dagger used to attack Bran and Kat filling Jamie in on the political situation with the Baratheon boys. And, you know, Jamie's a little cocksure here, even. He thinks that um, Rob's sure to be defeated by his father, but Kat defends Rob and says, you know, when he does, he'll defeat him as he did you. Jamie says, he took me unaware, a craven's trick. You dare talk of tricks? Your brother Tyrion sent us cutthroats and envoys garb under a peace banner. If it were one of your sons in the cell, wouldn't his brothers do as much for him? My son has no brothers, she thought, but she would not share her pain with a creature such as this. Um, 
Jamie drank some more wine. What's a brother's life when honor is at stake, eh? And um, it's, you know, it's kind of, it is interesting that she, you know, she won't share Bran, she won't share Bran and Rickon with Jamie. And I think it's, mm. I think she's afraid of, of, I think she's almost afraid of what he would say or what he would do would sort of force her to alter her plan a little bit. Mm. Yeah, I think that's accurate. I think, like, wasn't it last episode I said something like, like, she made a comment about Tyrion in the last chapter. And, I mean, we know she knows that's bullshit, but she she kept up with that idea. I think there's a part of her that can't go to certain places because it's there's she's too raw emotionally. And I think if she went there, it, it would, it, it just, she can't. She just is at that point. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I gotta say, I gotta back up a little bit here. I still remember what it felt like the first time that I read this, because this was like one of those, you know, I mean, like, God knows with the Song of Ice and Fire, you really put your time in before you get to the real zinger moments. I mean, like, you're slogging through some shit before you get to the amazing stuff. And it was like, oh, God, what's it like? It, It was like, you know, just popping the top off a bottle of beer or something. It was just like that awe moment, you know, the way that it's like basically Jamie and Kat make this deal and suddenly they're being honest about all this stuff that's just been buried and beaten around the bush for like two whole books. Mm-hmm. And like suddenly they're actually talking about this garbage and like they're having this frank conversation. It was like an amazing moment when I started reading. It. I was just like, did I just read that? Did he just tell her that Jeffrey was his kid? Like I was yeah. shocked. I don't know if you guys had the same feeling or Yeah. Yeah, I could I compare this to the revelation that um, Tyrion discovers Joffrey was the one who sent the cat's paw, and and that um, like because this whole time we've been thinking that it's Cersei for like years, you know. Uh, so it's just these moments of honesty are few and far between. I totally agree with you. So I have a question for you. I was I was hoping that someone had read this without being show spoiled. So do you? Re- did you have any idea what was happening at the end of this chapter? Because rereading it and knowing oh. what happens, I feel like there's a lot of hints that there's a little bit of hints of what Kat's going to do, but it's really subtle. Yeah, no, I thought she was going to kill him. Yeah. Um, yeah. And um, yeah, no, I, I got to see, I'm, I was lucky in that, you know, I got to just power through the first three books and I had the second one, I think pretty quickly right after that. I mean, the second one, the fourth one. Wait five years for book four. Yeah, yeah. Well, for no, but for for five, I I started reading right before Feast was released, so um, I was lucky because I could pound right into Storm of Swords. But I mean, yeah, no, I I I'm pretty sure I thought that Jamie was a goner. But you know, as much as I I was intrigued by Jamie, you know, you're not that attached to him at this point, so it wasn't a huge like, oh, what's the cliffhanger here? It was just like spectacular the honesty and everything that you see here you're like oh my god they're having a really frank conversation and i mean you know cat's pretty frank here too yeah i I can't remember what point as i was reading the books that i figured out that pretty much in a lot of scenes what you think is going to happen the opposite happens or you know something shocking twist happens but i at this (laughs) point i I didn't figure that out so i remember (laughs) well and the thing is is like knowing what's going to happen it's not you know, George is laying the groundwork for it. And so it doesn't make me wonder, like, what have we read now that is logically laying the groundwork for something that we're never going to expect to see? 
Well, and we never you know, will see. Well, well, yeah, it, never, it was getting to the point see. where I could sort of predict, I don't say exactly what was going to happen, but when I got to the end of the chapter, I was like, well, it's not going to be this because it's what he wants us to think is going to happen. So it kind of mm-hmm. felt a little... I don't know, say okay. contrived by the, you know, by the fifth book, but yeah, I mean, it'll be interesting to see. I thought one thing that's interesting about this conversation is, you know, Jamie pretty quickly actually turns the conversation into what he wants to talk about. And I think it, it's what has been on his mind and bothering th- him the most during his captivity. And it's not really Cersei. It's not Tyrion. It's not the war. It's, it's Ares. Like that's the thing that, you know, this man sitting in a cell thinking that he's going to be executed. And, you know, this is like the end of his life at, you know, at some unknown point. Mm-hmm. That's what's weighing on his mind is yeah. Aries. Well, let's just talk about what kind of punishment it must have been for Jamie to go this long. First of all, with just not anyone to talk to. As much as he needs to <laughs> flap his gums, can you imagine how rough that must have been? For yeah, him? yeah, you, that's a really good point because you think, I mean, uh, what's that? Solitary confinement is pretty extreme and pretty brutal um, for mm. most people. So the only one I think it would have been worse for is Tyrion. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, even Tyrion has visits from Uncle Kevin, and stuff. yeah, I mean, yeah, that, but yeah, yeah, that is a good point. I hadn't thought about. But they're very social. The Lannisters. Yeah. Oh, they got to talk. Dear God, do they need to talk? <laughs> so, you know, Jamie gives his his famous "so many vows" um, speech, and and I actually don't want to read that. It was something at the end of the speech that kind of caught me. And you know, it says he took a healthy swallow of wine and closed his eyes for an instant, leaning his head back against the patch on the wall. I was the youngest man to ever wear the white cloak, and Cat shuts him down, but later in the Heron Hall baths, it, it, to me, it sounds like Jamie's picking up the story. Like, I actually looked at that chapter and and the passage, the passage in that chapter, and Sword starts, you know, did you know that my brother set the Blackwater rush afire? Wildfire will burn on water. Ares would have bathed in it if he dared. The Targaryens were all mad for fire. Jamie felt lightheaded. It is the heat in here, the poison in my blood. The last of my fever. I'm not myself. He eased himself down until the water reached his chin. Soiled my white cloak. I wore my gold armor that day. And he's he mm. keeps rambling and um, you know, Brian never stops him. And, you know, Kat shuts him down, so he shifts gears and starts to talk to her about um Brandon and Rickard Stark instead. Hmm. But yeah, I thought it was really interesting just the way that you know again yeah cat's not the right audience for this talk (laughs) but that's where his mind is and he's just kind of waiting for someone to to be receptive to be receptive to hearing it yeah well i mean this has always been my contention is you know Yes, Brienne represents something for Jamie and in his 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 journey to self or whatever it is that he's doing. But um, you know, it's it's this time in the cell that really changes yeah. uh, his perspective on things because, you know, he's one of those people, and I, I I am not one of these people, but I know these people who who really can't be um, alone. You know, they're doers. Yeah. They go out and do. They don't sit and contemplate or think. And they don't spend time with themselves. And I think he's one of those people who has just been spor- forced to spend a lot of time with himself. And it's pretty clear that the the time in the dungeon has has made him be introspective in a way that has 
a kind of fundamentally changed his 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 line of thinking. I mean, you know, he he will he he'll never be the same from having to kind of examine some of this stuff. I mean, you just get the feeling he just kind of put himself into overdrive after the heiress thing and Robert took over and just tried not to think too much about, you know, the dishonor and heiress and all that stuff. And what I think yeah. What I think is funny though is, you know, normally you'd say you put someone in isolation and they're examining their lives and they're, you know, they're going to come to terms with their bad deeds. And I actually think for Jamie, it's sort of the opposite. Like he's stewing in like this bitterness, thinking about, you know, he thinks about how he had to kneel to be forgiven by Robert when all the realms should have been thanking him, you know, for being the person to finally stand up to this madman. And he thinks about how Gerald Hightower came to him after um, Ares put Brandon and Rickard to death and reminded him that his job was to serve the king, not judge him. And you, it's sort of like he's doesn't, I mean, he doesn't really feel bad about himself i think at all well, i he think never he's does. like finally right he never finally, does. Like, i mean you know, this really is this bullshit. is why i differ with most of fandom on the redemption arc thing i mean like yes technically it's a redemption arc but i mean jamie never really changes i mean like he is who he is he's, he doesn't he doesn't have the capacity to be i mean i think he regrets some things we know that he does he says that but he doesn't have the capacity to to kind of you know be like oh I really wish I hadn't done this or I hadn't done that. I mean like no he still thinks he did the right thing. <laughs> he still I thinks so. pushing Bran was the right thing. But you but know? I think you're 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 right about something because like would he would he have been able to have this conversation with her had he not been in let's say solitary confinement for how, however long he is? And I I think do, the do answer not- is no. Yeah, do we know how uh, long this is? Because they say at one point he was in a better cell. Like, do we know? I mean, because even, I mean, even short periods of time, I mean, it can break people. I mean, there's, like, but, recent psychological uh, documentation on all this that they wouldn't have known back then, but... Yeah, I mean, but I, I guess pretty, what uh, I'm saying is is whether or not he's... Even just this conversation, I don't think he would have been able to be he, saying these things and talking about these things with her or with anyone for that matter, um, had he not gone through this period of, of solitary and whether that's, you know, and I've known people like Chickie's talking about who just seem to be incapable of sitting down and like being with themselves or even a very short period of time, you know, I mean, I think the thing with Jamie is like, he had to be alone with himself for this long period of time. But contrary to maybe what a lot of the fandom interprets this, it's not like he comes out of it like being, oh, I'm terrible. He comes out of it being, well, <laughs> I got a really raw deal and I'm still right. pretty awesome. Right. No, no, no. I think you're right, too. I mean, I'm, I'm, I think I'm saying that both of you are right. Um, it's not – I mean, you don't say gleefully – yeah, I threw your kid out a window if you're sorry about it. I mean, I, I don't think he is. I think for him, I think it was. But he's he's gone all this time and he's not talked about Ares to anyone, has he? That we no, know of? No. Yeah. no. Nope. Well, well it, and, it, it, it's you know, interesting to think about what would have happened if he hadn't gone... What contrast, if he hadn't had his hand chopped, if that hadn't all happened, if he'd just been delivered back to King's Landing, wouldn't this have been, I mean, maybe not to that extent, but changed him to some degree when he got back? That would have been interesting. Yeah, I think so. I think so. I think, I think there is, you know, I mean, this is, this has clearly altered his thinking because even before his hand is chopped off in 
the first three chapters of, of Storm of Swords, we see him, you know, that he's like, well, they're they're all going to think that I'll never hold up to this bargain that I made with Cap, but I'm going to do it, you know. Yeah, yeah. And these little things where it's like, yeah, no, he he he's different already, like not different as in he's not the same person and he doesn't work the same way. But he's had to think about things. He's reevaluating. That's how I always put it. It's just like his priorities are different after his captivity. And this is the beginning of that. Have you ever been drinking with someone and they start to, and they're like getting really drunk and they start telling you a story and like halfway through the story, you realize that they're more telling the story to themselves and not to mm. you. And, yes. And, mm-hmm. Oh, they're like, they'll keep repeating the same thing over and over because you realize they're trying to convince themselves mm-hmm. because you've been like trying to convey this whole time. All right. You've already convinced me. You know, <laughs> he's, uh, it's uh, yeah. At some point cat stops being the audience. And, uh, well, yeah. Cause cat, you know, we, we see this from Kat, you know, we see this all from Kat's perspective, and she has, like, no internal reaction to it at all, other than she doesn't want, you know, she doesn't want to hear it. She doesn't want to imagine, mm-hmm. you know, what happened to Brandon and Rickard, and, you know, how ironic to hear it just after the alleged deaths of their namesakes, too. You know, like, she, oh. she's not, you know, she's yeah. not interested in this at all. Oh, my God, I'm, I'm so, I never really realized that. Yeah. I mean, like, I knew that Bran and Rickon were named for Brandon and Rickard, but wow. Yeah. Sorry, I'm just having a quiet moment here, Norman. <laughs> <laughs> no. Well, I mean, Bran and Rickard are, are stark names that kind of go back um, centuries. And I think they're, they've got to yeah. be named for... I, I'm not disagreeing. I'm just saying that those aren't the only Bran and Rickards to ever be Starks. Yeah, no, I know. I think you're supposed to think of it, though. And and there's a there's a lot here that's interesting. Um, there's a lot that that Jamie's doing for Cat, too, where he he's like, you know, you, you think, you know, the the stuff that happened. But let me tell you how gritty and dirty it really was, you know, um, and it's pretty remarkable. I mean, let's talk about the fact that somehow Cat doesn't know what happened to Rickard Stark. I mean, how's that even possible? I mean, you would think something that horrendous would have been, you know, told a thousand times, and yet she somehow has been protected enough not to hear it. So it's it's a really and you know like like Kam is saying for this to come, you know, at the same time that she's just heard about her boys and they happen to be the namesakes of these two people. I mean, it's really profound. Um, I I think uh, for her as a character too. I mean, I know we're kind of getting caught up in Jamie here, but. This is a growing moment for both of us. I, I mean, I continue to just find it, it kind of annoys me throughout. I'm like, I get the whole thing. You're not supposed to kill the king. But, like, how can people, you know, how can she hear that and still not think? I don't know. It just, that still bothers me that people think, no matter how bad Ares was, that nobody, you know, I, I still don't get it. I don't understand. Like, Somebody's got it. There's a disconnect between the right thing and the honorable thing. They're not the same thing in Westeros is what it comes down to. The right thing and the honorable thing are not the same thing to these people. Well, I think you could look. I mean, there's examples throughout history of someone who's in charge who's. <laughs> I was thinking about the leaks. There's got to be some good person. There's got to be some good person in there giving some leaks. Look at like, the Roman Empire. Look at look at emperors like Caligula. Look at Hitler. You don't have to even be looking in our own century. Look at people who have done, you know. They're off the charts crazy, they're evil, and yet people are sort of like, you'd think there'd be somebody going, okay, 
it takes an extraordinary amount of something, you know, to go and kill the Stand ruler. Up, yeah. yeah. But you don't think I, I mean, political assassins should be held accountable to justice? I didn't say that. I said, all right, like, look at, I'm going to pick Caligula because he's a Roman emperor. He's dead. There's nobody. We don't have to worry about political party here. I mean, the man was, by all accounts, absolutely crazy, horrible things done all the time, instability. It took his whole, uh, the Praetorian Guard, I think, to decide to kill him. They all had to do it. And I mean, so they suffered for so long. I mean, there's a... I think it's for the good of all. I'm okay with it. If somebody takes somebody out... You know, I'm okay with it. Not that we're endorsing anything. I'm okay with Jamie killing Ares. That's what I'm saying. I'm okay. <laughs> I mean, so I'm Westeros. With such horror, or not horror, but. Right. I'm, I'm double advocating West- on the behalf of the people of Westeros because we're trying to figure out like why they hate Jamie. Even okay, though we're yeah, on Jamie's yeah. side. We, we understand why. It was okay to kill Ares, but everyone else hates Jamie because of this. Because any moral code will tell you two wrongs don't make a right. And that's really what it just boils down to. But at some point, somebody's so bad. Somebody's so... If they knew he... And that's... It sounds like some people did know the horrible... Like, it sounds like everybody knew he was crazy. At some point, you're so... Again, it goes back to maybe, like, you you talk about the obvious example of a Hitler. If somebody's so bad that at some point you have to say, oh, it's okay. I don't even think that it's that. (laughs) I think it's that in Westeros and in Nazi Germany and in Rome... There was no legal recourse to get rid of a of an unjust ruler. You know, for example, in America, there are many ways other than <laughs> killing a leader to get yeah, removed from power. Yeah, but then once he was right. gotten rid of, then that's my sort of thing. Like, why was everybody so irked about the person who got right. rid of him? I'd be like, okay, this is who we need to like have a party it's for. Ordered society. <laughs> I mean, everything depends on this order, whether they know this or consciously, you know understand well, this or not the because they don't have another system you know they don't have no. another effective system of laws well and they also have all of their the lesser lords and the greater lords they're all buying into this system yeah this but it is what they do they have they have the you know the small folk they have the people with the whole fat all of this stuff and you have somebody who comes along and upsets that but it wasn't just regicide that Jamie Lannister committed. He was he uh, broke his oath to the Kingsguard, yeah. which is a lifelong service. It's 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 all part of a system, and he talks about that. All those vows they have, you know, you're supposed. And he's not the only character to point that out. I mean, you look at someone like Walder Frey, who talks about, you know, like I swore oaths to the king too. You have this whole complicated system, and you have someone who, first of all, comes along and upsets the apple cart, and then. He doesn't exactly, I mean, he. it sounds like this is the first time he's even been talking about this to anybody. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? I mean, he never explains to Ned what happened or why he happens to be sitting on the throne. Not till years later. Yeah. Well, I mean, he knows it doesn't no sound excuse. like he's telling I mean, other people. And it sounds like nobody really wants to know those answers either. No one well, wants to he knows, see. He knows it's just an explanation. And, like, I get where he's coming from with this because... There's a point where, you know, there's always a reason people do bad things. 
You know what I mean? There's always a reason. There's always, almost always a reason that someone does something. But like, does the reason undo the thing? And Jamie, I think, realizes that the reason doesn't undo the action. So he just doesn't see a need to explain it or apologize for it. Um, You know, and he kind of, I think, senses, and he's probably right here, that by trying to make an excuse or trying to explain, he actually would make himself look a lot worse than just writing it out. So he's always just written it out. He's always just taken the Kingslayer thing in stride. Like, okay, you know, I mean, obviously it tears him up inside, inside but externally. Yeah, I mean, it, there's a cost to that. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I think here, you know, he's telling this whole story and, you know, Cat doesn't, you know, I think part of him wants Cat to be like, oh, now I understand why you did it. And of course she doesn't, she doesn't say that. And so, you know, he lashes out at her and starts to taunt her about Jon Snow. And, you know, it's it's just because he's he's been going over and over that injustice or injustice and, you know, how he's considered a man without honor. And he's kind of throwing it in Kat's face. Well, you know, your beloved Ned Stark has no honor either. And, mm-hmm. you know, that, that's all that, he, you know, that's all that he can do at that point. I mean, it's he realizes, like, he's never going to change her mind. He thinks he's never going to change anyone's mind about himself. And, you know, they're very much about, it seems like, well, Ned, either the letter of the law versus the spirit of the law, because, I mean, even he considers, you know, this the scene with Cersei that, oh, you know, would Cat do the same thing that Cersei would do? He obviously has the ability to put himself in someone else's position, and who knows what Ned would have thought if Jamie did tell him why he did it. So he has that capability to say, hey, well... Well, you know, Ned actually completely. does think of why Jamie yeah. did it. And he does think he doesn't know what he would have done in the same position. Yeah. And, you yeah. know, which most people don't. I mean, if you have to choose between someone you love and someone you don't know at all dying, I mean, what do you do? That's, yeah. Oh, that's, oh, yeah. You know, and then this, I mean, even if, George has asked, yeah, if you know? Ned had known that why Jamie did killed Ares, if he had known about the oh, blowing yeah. up King's yeah. Landing, I mean, would that have changed his mind? So, I mean, again, you go back to then does the letter of the law still count more than the I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it's funny because, you know, George kind of put Ned through the same paces when, you know, at the end of Ned's life. I mean, Ned basically, you know, betrays what he believes to be the true king, which is, mm-hmm. is Stannis mm-hmm. by, you know, recanting and, and doing everything he can to save his family. Yeah. Um, you know, so I, I think we might have our answer there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? yeah. I think it, even it, Ned is flexible. <laughs> Excellent point. Can, can we talk about the line where he says uh, something like uh, he's hated for the thing he didn't do, or he did do, but loved by one for a kindness I never did? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Is he talking? Do you think he's talking about Tyrion here and Tyson? Yeah. 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 Because he repeats that same term in, in Storm. Mm-hmm. That's what I, I think. But this is this is way before anyone, even the audience, knows that story. No, we know it's, uh, it's we know we the know story. From, uh, yeah, from a Game of Thrones. Okay. Uh, Tyrion tells yeah. it to... Um, Bronn, right? It's still Bronn in the books, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, yeah. He tells I, I think it, all it, about it, it's happened. We've already been exposed to that. Yeah. I think that, I want to say, I'm pretty sure that happens in the first book because yeah. it, it's Yeah, before, it does. It's in a Game of Thrones, yeah. Because the okay. show didn't start diverging wildly until, like, season three. Uh, they were pretty close with the mm-hmm. first book. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think Tyrion tells Bronn like right after he survived the right after the trial by combat. I I want to say in the books anyway. I don't know for sure. 
So was it on the show? Was it right before the battle at the end of the first season? Is that yeah? It's before they they've they've come back. He's got the wildlings, and in the show, it's a scene with uh, Shay and and Bron. But I'm almost positive it's a conversation with um, Bron. Yeah, I think it's just Bron in the books. I think it's right after that, right after they leave the area. So this goes back to Jamie kind of just talking to oh, himself wait, because Kat has no idea what the fuck he's talking about. Yeah, she doesn't no. know about Ty's theory. She deserves it because she did this to Brienne all day. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, one of my favorite things from this section is it almost sounds like Jamie's a little bit of a Ned Burt shipper because. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, yeah. Sorry, Damn I'm you. Like, Damn you Oh, all. it did sound like that. Yeah, I can't help but see it now. <laughs> he loved Ned more than anybody. <laughs> yeah. Oh. See, I can so, see. That, oh, go on. Ned never betrayed Robert, right? Is that what it is? Oh, yeah, God. he would never. Yeah, he would never betray Robert. He loved him more than John Aaron or Cat or or you know Brandon. <laughs> So um, I think that he might be a little bit mistaken here because it's not like he was particularly close to Ned to to know that his relationship that intimately, because what eventually <laughs> happens is that Ned leaves Robert and goes back up north from whatever disagreement they had. Was it Bianca? Right. But I mean, at John? this point, he's just trying to piss off Kat because Kat was not willing to give him any kind of any kind of like absolution about Aries. Mm-hmm. So he's just doing it to, I mean, he's doing it to try to provoke her. He's just throwing stuff at the wall to see what sticks, I think. Okay. He's drunk as fuck at this point. Who knows what yeah, I mean, <laughs> He could be also, shipping it. <laughs> Monkins, why do you have to mess with our shipper parade? I mean, <laughs> no, I'm, I, I totally understand where you guys are. I, I always like to come from the point of view of uh, a non-shipper because that's how I entered like it took me thirty episodes of this podcast listening to to get on board that there even was anything in between uh, Jamie and Brienne. Oh, wow. I think the well, are we the ones shippers? who converted you to ship? That's awesome. Yeah, I yeah, you, you totally were. Yeah, for sure. Oh so God, when I we're doing when God's I, work, you guys. <laughs> we converted. The only the other person difficult. out there who I think ships Ned Burt is Lot, who may or may not be listening. Right now. <laughs> Is there is there really no fanfic you think that is written about Nedbert? Oh, there's totally Nedbert fanfic. <laughs> but it's all written by Lot. <laughs> <laughs> Under different names. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, so so I just always try to come at the point of view thinking that there's someone listening to this podcast who's just throwing their headphones across the room cuz he, he or she thinks that all of you guys are wrong and doesn't understand where this oh. this business is coming from. We get that all the time. So, so, Sorry if I'm coming off as like negative and trying no, to. You're not. No, you're not. It makes it interesting. It makes it interesting. <laughs> oh no! We just heard from somebody the other day who were like, "I listened to you in spite of the fact that you shipped Jamie and Brienne." <laughs> <laughs> this is awesome. So, so you know, Jamie's been provoking Cat, and finally she calls for Brienne and asks for her sword. And I have a short passage to read. Brienne scowled and slid Rendley's long sword from its scabbard, the metallic scrape filling her ears. She put the hilt in Lady Catelyn's hand, and Lady Catelyn laid the point of it against the Kingslayer's heart. Brienne watched in silence as Catelyn made the Kingslayer swear to put down arms against Tullys and Starks and return her daughters safely to her. Jamie Lannister cleared his throat, suddenly serious. I swear it on Cersei's life. What bloody choice do I have? Catelyn handed the sword back to Brienne, 
who took it and returned to the returned it to the scabbard. I need one more thing from you, Catelyn said. Anything, my lady. Brienne couldn't tell if he was japing. Twenty years ago in River Run, do you remember? <laughs> the king, the Kingslayer's eyes darkened. Brienne had little experience with carnal manners. Only her, <laughs> only her clumsy, self-inflicted fumbles in the dark, and the occasional glimpse of a soldier with a camp follower. But she recognized the raw hunger in his eyes as he watched Lady Catelyn. Undo these fetters, Cat, and I'll show you how well I remember. Get the keys from the jailer, Brienne. This was said with her back to Brienne. Brienne hesitated. She couldn't leave her alone with the Kingslayer. My lady, do as I say, Brienne. Her voice was firm and brooked no argument. Brienne did as she was told. (laughs) Upon her return, she found Lady Catelyn on her knees before the Kingslayer. The two locked in a lip-bruising kiss. Brienne must have made a sound, a gasp of surprise at finding them so. Because Catelyn hesitated herself. Jesus Christ. Kingslayer's embrace and turned to her. Brienne, close the door and come here. <laughs> so, obviously, that's really from the chapter, but you can't talk about it. sound like it belongs there. Oh, man. <laughs> That's, that's hilarious, because, like, just a couple days ago, I tweeted to the closed door account on Twitter, uh, you guys should do dramatic readings of, of smut. Okay, I believe so. I told you to be careful <laughs> what you ask for. That's awesome. That's awesome. So I want to quickly give credit. That last bit is from a fanfic called One More Thing, and that's by our, our bud and sometimes guest, Ashara, um, who is down <laughs> on AO3. So we'll we'll link you guys to this fanfic too on Tumblr and Twitter, but I just wanted to prove that it totally seems like it could fit in. <laughs> it really does. It really does. I love how I wish that Eon was on this episode because this is one of her favorite things about the whole series. The rumors of the threesome that come out of this little <laughs> night in this <laughs> cell. <laughs> it's almost, you know, and again, it's these three characters coming together and, you know, I almost wish we could share the Skype chat with Skype. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like I, it took it was it wasn't like halfway through that reading that it was like, oh, this isn't GRM. <laughs> <laughs> this isn't canon. <laughs> Watkins is literally saying, wait, wait, did you skip ahead? Well, you, well, you, didn't, you didn't introduce it. I knew you had mentioned it. I was thinking to myself, like, wait, it, just, it ended when she said, bring me the sword. <laughs> or did it? Oh, God. Gee, I'm serious. We really need to, have, we need to have whole episodes of just fanfic. <laughs> that, could, that could go in our list of our special episodes. Oh the God. best moments in like <laughs> poor but no plot. <laughs> so if we do, we uh, definitely have to have Glam back on because I think she made an amazing reader of smut. I have to say for our back at <laughs> our fanfic. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, Kama, do we have any mail? Actually, yeah, I'm sorry. Any any last thoughts on this chapter, real or imagined? <laughs> oh God. So. Brienne didn't really have any 
dialogue, right? For that whole oh. scene? In the prison? No. No, she doesn't. Mm-hmm. She doesn't. She's not actually in the, you know, she's not in the cell at all that we see until the very end. I wonder if she overhears any of it, though. You know, yeah, it's kind of echoey in there. You know, <laughs> doesn't it mention she's like holding the door open hmm. on the cell door? She's yeah. standing outside the, the She's cell, gotta yeah. hear it. She's gotta no, hear she it. No, she does. She mentions yeah. a couple she, things from this conversation. Okay. In, okay. in Storm, when she's in the bath with Jamie, it's news to her, isn't it? Mm-hmm. I mean, he's pretty much starting to tell the story here. Well, not really, uh, though. But he doesn't. He doesn't talk yeah. anything about the pyromancers or any of that. If she stuff did hear it, can you imagine the shock on her face when he makes the comments about the widow and the? <laughs> she did hear it because she 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 accuses him of of being a sister fucker, basically. Okay. <laughs> yeah, she but sure, that she didn't have that. to hear that through this. I mean, that's pretty much. I mean, well, right. She, that like she knows it for a fact, though. Right. I mean, okay. she she's like anyone who would was it violate their sister? Someone. Yeah. So now I'm having fun imagining her eyes go wide and her hand on the sword is like all the time. (laughs) I don't think she does hear this. I don't think she's. No, she hears it because she also. um, She also says the brand thing. She's like anybody who throws it out a window. And she pretty much. But I mean, these are all things that like she could have heard elsewhere. No, I mean, even in the bath, Jamie tells her, you know, it's the hand I, you know, I fucked my sister with and it's yeah. the hand that I flung Bran from the window and, and he's saying it to her in such a way that you know he knows he so knows she, she knows yeah. they, they talk about it a few times in, in Storm like and right but I mean like okay the the stuff about him and Cersei everybody knows I mean or has been no it's an accusation that's out there that people and the heard. stuff about Bran being thrown out but the window is an accusation that's that, out there think about the way Renly reacted a couple of chapters ago Renly's like laughing at Stannis about it he doesn't even believe the Jamie and Cersei thing so you know yeah no. but I mean no. that's that's but, Renly I mean well if you react, read the way if you read the way there are other people it, there's plenty of people in in the books who clearly believe it saying, hear what you're saying comic she could have heard it somewhere else but she literally I think within a paragraph accuses him or doesn't accuse she like tears into him for being, you know, sleeping with his sister and for pushing Bran. And it's in a way that she's clearly heard it here. Cause like Kat only hears here that he pushed Bran All right. and like he it. So it's pretty clear. And then the other thing is he doesn't, he doesn't prevaricate with her at all about any of this stuff when they talk. And this is even before the bath. I mean, they, they're pretty frank with one another about it, which to me says he knows she heard the whole thing. Okay. Like she might have even like literally been visible, you know, yeah. standing in the standing <laughs> in the doorway, in the doorway, <laughs> blocking out the light, as it were. So, come I, on. I, um, I oh, brought this ahead. up because I wanted to ask. Um, it, assuming that Bryn is standing in the doorway and hearing everything, and she's not saying anything, is that like um, fitting in with her role as a knight? Do you think a proper lady would? be speaking or participating or, or um, does would she be quiet as well? Like what? Uh, like what, like what does it say about that? Brienne that she's being silent throughout this whole process? Hmm. And then, and then juxtaposing that with how they ran it in the show where she is participating and Jamie's con- commenting about how she's toe headed or whatever. Well, I mean, it could mean 
ignoring the show for a moment, I mean, it could mean any number of things. It could be basic politeness. This is a conversation that's not involving me. I'm a knight. I'm, it's not, which you just alluded to. It's, you know, I'm not supposed to be. It, it, again, I mean, she's more subservient to Kat, isn't she? I mean, she's not. I don't think she perceives herself as being an equal with no, her. She doesn't. I mean, it's like I'm sure there are plenty of um, scullery maids and, you know, squire or not squires, but stable boys who have heard and seen shit. They're just not going to say it. Well, she's playing. I mean, she's this is the first one of the first times she or not one of the first times. Sorry. One of the many times, frankly, that we see Brienne being placed in a similar role as what Jamie's done. You know, Jamie yeah. had to sit there silently when the Mad King was doing all this shit and Brienne is sitting there silently while Cat is doing something that, you know, essentially is treason to her king. Yeah. And her role is to just, you know, her role is to take orders. That That's it. And that's the role that she's willing to accept. And, I mean, I think we, we would probably agree that a big part of Brienne's future arc is in the realization that, you know, she isn't you know just because she swore a vow doesn't mean she has to mindlessly obey orders right we hope mm-hmm. gotcha. okay. well to be determined yeah <laughs> hopefully so comma any mail we do we had a um a message from joy yay who said hi guys i'm not sure if you will have talked about this or not but i just wanted to comment on how uh RR, I think, is Robert's Rebellion. Uh, To comment on how Robert's Rebellion fucked up an an entire generation. And it's so interesting to see Kat and Jamie, two people whose lives changed forever during the rebellion, still reckoning with that. Jamie became the Kingslayer and Kat was taken away from all she knew. Also, I had a great time with you guys last week and it was nice to respond to you guys directly instead of talking to my iPhone like a lunatic. <laughs> Love joy. She's great. Yeah. yeah she was awesome. <laughs> yeah. She's a good guest. So on um, this wraps up our cat chapters in a clash of Kings. And before we move on to her storm of swords episodes, we're actually going to do a couple of special episodes and we'll get back into the adventures of house door. And our episode next week is going to examine cat um, books versus show. And we are still looking for some questions for that episode. So if you do have any questions, you can email them to us at close the door and at gmail.com or send us an ask on Tumblr. We're close the door and come here, tumblr.com. And as always, we would urge you to be one of our Patreons. You get benefits like special episodes and hearing episodes a little bit early. And listen and review us on iTunes. I'll note we don't have any new iTunes reviews this week. Sadness. Um, listen on Podbean, Stitcher, Google Play, and all the places. And as I said, you can find us on Tumblr, Twitter, and Facebook. And I want to thank thank you to all of our panel. Thank you for listening and for indulging us in some goofiness in this chapter. Mm-hmm. And I'm closing the door. Get out. <laughs> <laughs>